You're listening to Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. So we've got another adventurer to add to our Women Making Waves, have we? We have indeed. Jan Chatsis took part in the 2015 Clipper Round the World race. And by all accounts, when we start to listen to Liz's fantastic interview, that it was a hair-raising moment. It certainly sounded (laughs) so. I don't want to give too much away, but actually the sleeping that Jan talks about, that your body still is on on guard while yeah, you're sleeping. Tense. Yeah. tense. Uh-huh. And I never thought about that. Well, I'd been in a yacht, in a small yacht, going, but it was going round the Med, so it was a little bit different. But we did go through um, a four-state gale and it was tilted right over, and as yachts do, and we had hours after hour after hour of that. And I got quite, well, quite a few of us got quite seasick and I was in my bunk and you're strapped in so you are kind of pinned down a little bit so you don't fall onto the floor but I know exactly the feeling right well let's listen to the interview and uh, it's by Women Making Waves contributor Liz Barker Just found a magazine in London coming home and there was this picture of a woman and the picture had her profile split in half her face so one half was just this ordinary woman going about her day life the other half this ocean sailor didn't read anything I just saw this and I said right I want to do that I'm joined by Jan Chattis, who is a lady I met recently, and she's a remarkable lady, and I wanted her to share her story because I think it's worth hearing. Now, Jan, welcome. Hello, Liz. Really, really lovely to be here. Now, Jan and I met, interestingly, over some hand therapy at a pamper evening. Jan, how did you get into being a skin expert? How did it all start for you? Once upon a time, I um, was a nurse. I started my nursing career off in psychiatry. And I, I always say that because I really loved that part of my nursing. And then I did general nursing. From there, I worked on a burns unit, um, worked in plastic surgery. And your medical career has obviously taken you to different places because your background has been very useful in lots of ways but obviously the thing I really want to talk to you about you were chatting away and you suddenly went yeah so I uh, I sailed around the world when I was 48 and I was like what <laughs> it's not something many women do well people do full stop and you so you've you've decided to learn to sail at a later age so you didn't sail when you were young I am a person who's always looking for the next challenge. This was yet another challenge. My family were not surprised. Um, But yeah, I decided, right, you know, I want to sail one day. So it was October, not the best time in Britain to learn to sail. And I just rang up and said, yeah, can I do this course? Yeah, of course, there were spaces because it was October. Who wants to go learn in the North Sea in October? Really, really loved it. Didn't know what I was doing. But I was driven that I knew that I could do it. But I couldn't do it then. You can't learn in five days how to sail. Um, So I just did another and another because I wanted to be the best. I'm very competitive but not necessarily competitive with others. I'm competitive with myself. And I really feel bad about myself if I know that I'm not delivering the best that I can. It's a huge 
undertaking. And, and what age were you? When I started sailing, when I was first started sailing, I was 50, 48, 50. Yeah, I wasn't that young. You're at sea. You decide to take it one step further. You're enjoying sailing. But no, Jan wants to do a race. You end up sailing around the world in the most famous race there is, the Clipper Race. I just found a magazine in London coming home and there was this picture of a woman and the picture had her profile split in half her face. So one half was just this ordinary woman going about her day life, the other half this ocean sailor. Didn't read anything, I just saw this and I said, right, I want to do that. You found out, I mean, the clipper race is not something that just anyone can do, is it? How? Do, what's the process? The process to begin with is largely self-selection. So you, you know that this is going to be the most arduous, challenging races, experiences there is on the planet. At that point, you think, well, it's not for me or it is for you. A lot of people on that race have never even been on a boat before. But they know the grit that they have. They can see something in those individuals. So from then, you're invited to one week's compulsory training that everybody has to do. And after that training, you decide that one week. And when I say a week, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The most <laughs> arduous, hard-working week of your life. What boat are you in? So it's called a matched fleet. So... What that means is it's a fleet of 12 boats, each boat designed, made, weighed exactly the same. And then all from every, all the applicants, crew are assigned a boat, a team. So how many in a team? The race goes around the world. It has quite a few stops, different countries. Some, there's a core crew who will be on for most of the race, if not all of it. And then there'll be other crew members who get off at certain ports and other crew members who will get on. About between 15 and 20 crew members. For each boat. Now, I don't know anything about the Clipper race. Is it is it a world? Is it people from around the world competing? Is it just a British thing? Is it an old race? Is it a, is it a fast race? What is it? So the Clipper race was the brainchild of Sir... Um, Knox Johnson, Robin Knox Johnson, who was the first person to sail solo round the world. So he had this idea with his friend Chris Bonington and was a mountaineer. And they were having a bit of an argument and Knox Johnson said, you know, anybody can do Everest, but not everybody can sail round the world. He said, I'm going to show you, I'm going to train some complete amateurs Chris Bonington said, no way, you can never do that and get them round the world. Anyway, he did and proved Chris Bonington wrong. And this is how the Clipper race started. It has been, by and large, crewed by British, but that's only because it was, until recently, based in Britain. But most of the boats now have a company from at least one other country from round the world. The race basically starts in London, goes south to Rio, across to South Africa, Australia, Vietnam, China, and then across the Pacific to the States, down to the Panama, across Panama Canal, up to New York, back to Europe and London. What month do you set off and how long are you at sea? Give and take a few weeks. It ordinarily sets off in July. The race takes 11 months. I cannot actually imagine what it's like. 
to be on a boat for so long and to be out at sea when you don't see land, it just must be quite eerie. And it must be scary because the sea, as we know, is a beast. It can be calm one minute and huge waves the next. And if you're out where it's deep and no one else about, I mean, explain to me some of the mental images you have or the experiences, what you felt internally. And the reason why I embarked on the race was I knew it, this was going to be the ultimate challenge. Um, obviously, psychologically, because I was going to be on a boat, not being able to get off, um, do everything on that boat for a period of 52 days plus, or give and take a few. And psychologically, because I didn't know how dangerous it was going to be and you potentially it was going to be and would I be able to still meet those dangers without being feared? I thought I could but you, we you don't, don't know. know until we face the difficulties physically this was going to be a challenge yeah I was extremely fit I made sure I was fit very agile but was that going to be enough to save me on this boat um, did I have the stamina so for me, what was life? It was all those things that I expected. So I just embraced it. Yeah, 80 foot waves crashing down continuously. Never been so cold in my life for so long. I never want to be that cold again. I've never been so wet for as long in the morning after three hours sleep, if you're lucky. Knowing that you're going to put a pair of boots on that have just puddles and puddles of icy water but that's all you've got to wear so get them on girl and get on deck boat carries on working there's no oh lights off you know one shift as we call them watches have gone to bed let's be quiet you know the boat we're erasing but the noise continues there's somebody down below working noise the engine's going <laughs> if you're unlucky enough, as was I for most of the race, my bunk was an arm's length away from the engine room that people had to work on every hour on the hour. And then sail repair. I was also on the sail repair team as well as being the medic. And when you're sailing a racing boat, your sails are always tearing. If I got to bed, you can rest assured that somebody would be waking me up jamsy jamsy can you get up because such and such a sale needs sewing i enjoyed it because i knew what was involved and i wanted what i experienced i wanted that i wanted the waves i wanted the wind i wanted the challenge so, Jan, you just touched on the point that you were the medic on board as well. Now, it is highly dangerous. You're obviously at risk constantly, day and night, of going overboard, of getting an injury. And I know that, actually, some people lost their lives, didn't they, on your trip? On our race, unfortunately, two people lost their lives, not from my boat. It was from another boat, and um, one very early on via an injury it was a sailing injury there was an injury from the boom and another poor lady was swept overboard and yes you're under that constant risk and other injuries continuously below and above the deck um, injuries are inevitable because you're in an extreme situation one that you cannot predict you cannot predict where that next wave is going to knock you about from one side of the boat to the other or maybe you get hand caught in a winch or a, a rope I'll call them ropes can just fly across the boat trap your hand you don't know where it's coming from yeah 
continuous risk of very severe injury. I did a lot of reading um, about um, medics in the Amazon, places where they have no resources. How did they manage to nobble something together? What did you eat, by the way? How did you eat? There was a vitola. So the vitola, so it's... Spelt Victuola, but it's actually pronounced Vitsula. He was in charge of provisioning the boat when we were in port and making sure there was enough food. But obviously keeping people fed is so important for so many reasons and you're using up so much energy. Um, Physically, the demands are huge. 20,000 calories a day we could burn because even when you're in bed you're being thrown about and the physical even when you think you're asleep you're actually your body starts to learn that it's got to move its muscles to stay in that bed and you have your route your map and you have radio control were you able to speak to people um like your family or friends between no you couldn't speak to anyone no see were you not scared about sharks or falling overboard and getting eaten by something horrible the only time that I was really worried about falling in was going round Australia. Yeah, mm. I really didn't want to fall in there. Mm. So, Jan, I mean, this is epic. It's epic by anyone's standards. And then you finish the race. Where do you come? Story that, but we came second in the race by a point. Um, but it was great. Wouldn't change it for the world. Love my teamies and then my soulmates. Did you? Were you elated? Were you crying? What was that feeling of finishing and... Going back to normal life, how had you changed? Right, going back to normal life, really didn't want to. I did not want to get off that boat. I would have quite happily just um, hidden somewhere and not get off. I really didn't. Um, I got home. I didn't open my bags. I couldn't look in my wardrobe for two months. Having lived with absolutely no stuff, and I realised that really I don't need all the rubbish that I had. And hence, I couldn't, I didn't even open my wardrobe doors for two months because I knew it was going to be full of clothes that didn't mean anything. Didn't mean anything. Didn't mean anything. Didn't need. Didn't need. And how do I choose what to put Mm. on and how to match them? Whereas it was simple. I'd just worn the same (laughs) for the last. It must be like being in prison in a weird way, you know, just your... Very institutionalised. Yeah, your choices. Like you say, suddenly you're faced with all these choices, Choices. what to have for dinner, what to have... It can be overwhelming, I guess. It must have been weird, actually, for your friends and family because the experience has to change you. It has to make you a different person. Well, it wasn't apparent to me that anything had changed. I just thought, oh, I'd come back as a worse or a better version of myself. Um... I think I tried to hide it because it was the right thing to do because I'd had this amazing experience, this opportunity that was incredible. I was privileged to have that a lot of people will never have. So, you know, you've done it now, girl. Just get back to normality. So I hid it a lot. I felt as I had a duty to family. I wanted to be on a boat with, and I wanted to be with my teamies. So, yeah, I... I really could not go back to what I was doing before I left, which was teaching doctors. And I thought, I've got to do something there. I was still sat in my sailing shorts, <laughs> my T-shirt. Two months later, I was still wearing this. What are you going to do? I thought about going back to nursing. So I was dissuaded from doing that. And I thought, well, what can I do? So that's in how I ended up mm-hmm. doing what I was doing. I wanted to bring mm-hmm. some of that caring, mm-hmm. um, nurturing 
you want a challenge, you can do it. That challenge is for you, but you can do anything. I mean, honestly, I've never met somebody who is more perfect for women making waves. Waves in so many ways because you were on your boat and what you've achieved throughout your life. I think you're so inspirational. You are deaf in one ear, didn't tell anybody. Brilliant. Nothing has stopped you and I'm just so glad that I've got to meet you because I've not enjoyed hearing um, somebody talk so much in such a long time. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Liz, for your patience. And that was Jan Chatters talking to Women Making Ways contributor Liz Barker.